Welcome to The Short-Term Show, the show about short-term rentals and long-term wealth, with real property owners hosting real properties who are crushing it in the vacation and short-term rental space. And here's your host, Avery Carl. This episode of The Short-Term Show is brought to you by The Short-Term Shop. If you're interested in buying a short-term rental in one of the top vacation markets in America, just go to theshorttermshop.com and click Get Connected with an Agent. If you purchase a home with the shop, you'll have access to all of our client-only benefits, such as training on how to manage your short-term rental. So we'll teach you everything you need to know from how to set up your Airbnb and Verbo listings to how to use the property management software that you'll need to streamline your business, all the way down to helping you source your local boots on the ground like cleaners, handy people, etc. We've taught thousands of people just like you how to buy and manage their vacation homes from anywhere in the world. So head on over to the shorttermshop.com and click get connected with an agent to get started. I do have to mention that we're brokered by EXP or else I get in trouble. We'll see you guys over there. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to another episode of The Short-Term Show. Today, we've got a really cool guest. His name is John Jasniak, and he is going to talk to us about land flipping and just other ways to create income and or wealth from land. So how's it going, John? It's going awesome. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Excited to talk to your audience about another, what I think is the best and my favorite way to make money in real estate. Yeah. So this comes at a really interesting time for me and I didn't do this on purpose, but I've got some acreage under contract more for us just to kind of hang out at because we live in a super heavy tourist area in Florida. Um, but I'm really interested to learn how I can maybe add some value to that just because, you know, I like equity just like everybody. So um, yeah, super interested. So why don't you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about yourself and how you got into land flipping? Sure. So, you know, my name is John, been doing this now for over six years, early 2017. I started my company called Jazz Land. I was working as an engineer in the oil field, typical nine to five job. I didn't dislike what I was actually doing. I was drilling oil wells. It was kind of cool, like on rigs, drilling wells, the whole nine yards. But I just did not really like going to the office, working nine to five. I remember going in there, the guys would be talking about work all day, about stuff I just couldn't relate to. I was like, man, there's got to be something different. I was always very entrepreneurial. Found out about land on a podcast. Um, similar to this, the Side Hustle Show, episode 108, I kind of reference that all the time. There's a guy like myself comes on, he starts talking about land flipping, about, okay, you can go out, buy a piece of land for five or 10,000, turn around, sell it for 10 or 20,000, double your money. So I bought a couple courses, started studying it and kind of just, you know, dipped my toe in the water and uh, bought an $8,500 piece of land way out in West Texas in Hudspeth County, far west. Uh, bought it for 8500 bucks. ended up selling um, all the different parcels. It was already five little parcels uh, for about 17 grand. So I doubled my money, started buying lots for 1500 2000 3000 turned around, sell them for six, seven, ten thousand. 10000 uh, you know, four or five X my money and just kind of snowballed from there until where I'm at today, where it's, you know, about a $10 million business. I've basically do a lot of owner financing, subdividing, manage all my own notes, work with investors, um, et cetera. So it kind of started small, snowballed from there. I do a lot of work in Texas, but um, myself and other people kind of all over the country doing deals uh, all the way from the East Coast to the West Coast. And 
So one thing I love about land is it is everywhere, obviously. And they're not making any more of it. The earth is not getting any bigger. Awesome. So where do you live in Texas exactly? I'm in Fort Worth. So Dallas, Fort Worth. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So for complete newbies to this, such as myself, what type of land are we looking for? And what is the goal for when we sell it? So what's the thing we're buying? What are we doing to it to increase the value? And then in order to, to sell it for the most amount of money. So the crazy thing is, is, um, a lot of times you don't need to do anything to land to increase the value that money is made on the buy side, like all um, forms of real estate. There's plenty of land out there that you can buy for 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar. Now you step up to your bigger ranches and stuff, you know, you can get pieces of land for 70 to 80 cents on the dollar. Really, the only thing I do to add value is subdivide it. So sometimes I have to build a little road or whatever, but for for uh, the newbies, quote unquote sake, you're going to be starting small, you're going to be buying a piece of land. We target outside of city limits, um, you know, kind of in the countryside, so to speak, where it's cheaper, there's less people, it's more of a rural um, environment, and, you know, it's more recreational use, maybe hunting, shooting, glamping, get out under the stars, um, go out there and get away from the city. There's plenty of land like that that you can buy for 30, 40, 50 cents on the dollar, believe it or not, and turn around and sell it and immediately double your money. uh, A lot of my first deals, I didn't need to do anything to them. I simply went out, bought it for really cheap and then turned around and and sold it for, you know, double or at least my money. That's kind of what I target, especially starting off as a a newbie or beginner. Try to double your money on a small little deal. Now with scaling and all these big subdivisions and stuff and stuff I'm doing, you know, depends what's going on, but four or five X, at least um, my money on those, on those subdivisions, I'm adding value just by chopping the land down to smaller pieces. A lot of the stuff you just buy and turn around and do a good job, decent job marketing it and sell it for more. So where are you finding these types of deals that are 50, 60, 80 cents on the dollar? Yeah, so a lot of the the real cheap stuff is going to be through direct mail or what's big nowadays with a lot of real estate folks are getting into obviously is SMS texting, especially with the advent of AI and all the crazy stuff that's going on. A lot of people out there CRMs, SMS texting, you know, get data, skip trace, start texting landowners, going directly to the landowners themselves is the best place uh to try and find deals. So my my go-to place for data and ownership records is data tree, but you can also find them at straight from the county itself. Um, and these big subdivisions, the bigger projects, actually, I'm having a lot of success just on the MLS and stuff that's listed landsofamerica.com. In Texas, it's landsoftexas.com. It's the Texas version of the website. Everyone is direct mailing. There's a lot of people trying to enter the space. And so I've kind of just reverted to straight up looking online for deals and I'm having a lot of success just finding stuff that's sitting out there. Yeah. And I I think a lot of people in all, all real estate asset classes, they get so focused on direct mail and texting and digging up who owns all this stuff that they forget that sometimes there are people that maybe haven't ever gotten a piece of mail that they just say, hey, I want to list this. I want to sell this and they go hire a real estate agent and throw it on the MLS. And I think people forget to look there because there are deals yeah. occasionally, not all the time, but uh, you you definitely have to keep an eye on that too. Cause I've gotten some great ones just right off the MLS where they did terrible marketing, like had bad photos and 
um, you know, maybe just underprice things and people well, just I can't think- tell you how many times, at least on land, I've seen an MLS listing where it's like a $500,000 piece of land. And it's like one iPhone photo and yeah. like the finger is covering up uh, the camera. But my whole thing with looking on the MLS is the most they can say is no. For instance, I got one under contract right now in Andrews County, Texas. It's 350 acres. They wanted a million and 50,000. And that sucker was on the market for two or three years. It's under contract right now for 510,000. So I'm kind of just looking (laughs) at the MLS and offering them almost what I would offer them an SMS or direct mail because it's on MLS. They're motivated seller. They're, they're, you know, not, not necessarily a motivated seller, but they do want to sell their land. They're actively trying to sell their land, their real estates. They want to sell. Now it's just all comes down to, can you get it at the right price? If they say no, it's a numbers game like anything else in real estate. You know, you're on to the next one. They're going to tell you, no, you can't get your feelings too hurt. You offer them the next one. And I think that's another mistake that people make with on MLS properties is they look at the price and they go, uh, they're too far off of where I would be. So I'm just not even going to try it. And then they don't yeah. try it. I see people comment all the time, like on Facebook, when people have thrown a listing up on Facebook and they'll say like, too expensive. But, and sometimes it's been my listing, like we'll throw a listing up on Facebook and a bunch of people will comment how the numbers don't work and it's too expensive. But in the meantime, somebody else is sending an offer for significantly under asking and the seller takes it. They're okay with it. So uh, I think that's a big mistake that a lot of people make is just not putting an offer in at all. It takes about the same amount of effort to comment why something doesn't make sense <laughs> as it does to offer um, you know, the number that does make sense. I, yeah, um, I agree. I agree. I can't, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten land on MLS for half what I offered. You know, people are out there looking to sell and most I can say is no. Yep. I agree with that. Um, okay. So let's talk about, so you, you want to stick to outside city limits, like rural areas. Is there a limit to how far outside of like a major metropolitan area or a decent sized town that you will go? Is there such a thing as too rural or too far out to make sense? Yeah, um, I like to focus outside of city limits, but there's uh, there's a lot of people also doing infill lots and stuff in city limits. So, of course, you can do it anywhere. Again, the money is made on the buy side. But as far as is there a limit as far as too far out? I think the sweet spot, if you ask me, is 30 minutes to an hour outside of a a major metropolis is is great. But any sort of decent sized town, 30 to minutes to an hour outside. Now, that's not saying that you can't go an hour, two hours outside, because now we're stepping into probably more of a recreational use of land, which has a huge market. And so mm-hmm. if I can get a piece of rec land for $400 an acre and turn around and sell it for $800, or $1,000 an acre, that's perfect. I mean, who's not going to do that deal? Same thing. I stepped into, you know, 20, 30 minutes outside the city. Maybe now I'm getting it for three, 4,000 an acre in a lot of areas in Texas and selling it for eight to $10,000 per acre. So the beauty about this is it really can be done everywhere. There's different buyers, like a different buyer class for each type of land, your rec land versus someone who's, you know, trying to buy a 10 acre lot that they can go put a mobile home on that has power and water capabilities and all that stuff. 30 minutes to an hour though, outside of the city, I think, um, because that offers sort of the convenience to be close to town and everything they need. But there's a huge market right now, as I'm sure you and your audience know, to kind of get outside of the city, whether it's for, you know, 
glamping, RVing, mobile home parks, et cetera. People want to be outside of the city, but kind of still have the convenience to get everything they need, but get away from all the craziness that's going on. I think that is the sweet spot in a really growing market that I've kind of tapped into with, especially with these subdivisions and kind of hitting, um, hitting that market and that niche 30 minutes to an hour. So when you're looking at this stuff, how do you know if it's going to be, so you said subdivision, how do you know if, okay, I'm just going to turn around and sell this for more, or I'm going to subdivide this and break this up and sell this individually. What's kind of the differentiating factor that makes you do one or the other? Well, I think in in all reality, you should always be looking to subdivide land um, because it adds value. So obviously this is a business. We live in a capitalistic society. It just is what it is. We're here to make money and also provide a piece of land for the end buyer who the who's going to love and enjoy that piece of land. And the more land I can provide to people, the more money I can make. It's a win-win for everybody. So I think you should probably always be looking to subdivide land because it's kind of a win-win. Um, now, the problem is, is not every land can be subdivided. And also, if you're a beginner or don't have um, you know, the time or energy or capital to subdivide land to get a survey to potentially build a road, then again, it probably isn't um, a subdivide candidate or can be subdivided uh, in the first place. But at the end of the day, all land, I think should, unless it's, you know, a ranch and that's your target market and you want to sell a, a giant piece of land to somebody, there's a whole game and market to doing that. Um, but even then, I mean, subdividing adds value, <clears throat> which is so, you know, that's why I love it. It allows me to help more people, get more people land and, um, make more money myself. So all land, I think shouldn't, you should try to subdivide it, but you know, as a beginner and rookie, sometimes you just want to flip it and and move on. And and sometimes it can't be subdivided. You just need to flip it and sell it and move on and it's on to the next deal. Okay. Um, so when you have to do things like add a road, so what are some things that you might have to actively do physically to add value to a piece of land? Add a road, get it surveyed, water. Uh, confirm that the water line has capacity or that there's a uh, water underground that could be drilled. Water is a huge thing. You know, you, I've sold plenty of dry land and recreational land, hunting land that doesn't really have water uh, capability, believe it or not, but obviously confirming or having water adds value to the land, um, running power. But, you know, the longest road I've built was a little over five miles. Access is probably the biggest thing um, when it comes to land. Everyone wants to be able to access their land I'd challenge anyone to go out there and buy a piece of landlocked land. Now, landlocked land or land with no access, um, legal access, but not physical access, it will sell, but you're going to have a, a hell of a time trying to sell that. Because the first thing someone wants to know, of course, is how can I get to my land? They're going to ask you to show it, but we're not going to show it because I'm in Fort Worth and it's probably in West or Central Texas. So I can't get out there and show them land, but they're going to say, okay, how can I get to it? Drop me a pin. So access is huge. Um, but surveying is huge, just simply breaking down a smaller piece of land oftentimes adds a lot of, a lot of value because more people can afford a 10 acre piece versus a hundred acre piece, obviously. Um, so at, you know, road survey, power, water, those are probably the top four. How difficult is it to add water and power to a property? Uh, I heard, so I was looking yeah. at, I mean, still am kind of looking at some ranches, uh, for way down the line future. And somebody told me it's like $10,000 a, a pole to get power run to something. Is that like, is there a rule of thumb like that? Now, 
that may have been true. It, it depends. I would say it largely depends on the area and the provider. I've done projects where they run it for free. And I've done projects that have been, I think, a, a good ballpark. I tell people usually it's like 3 to $5 per foot, um, at least in, in Texas and where a lot of stuff I do uh, for power. Um, power is usually kind of the least of my concerns because it's if you need to run it, you can always do it. And it's usually not that expensive or hard to do. It's just a call to the utility company, the power company, and they'll they'll do it hopefully for free, but not always. Okay. That makes sense, I guess. So, all right. So we talked about kind of how you find markets. Well, is there a certain way to evaluate a market that you're getting into? So we know, okay, 30 minutes, an hour outside of a city, but what are some other attributes that you look for in an area? So the main thing I look for is if land is actually moving. Um, The best way to do this is just Zillow or Lands of America toggling uh, sold and for sale filters um, just to see if there's actually land moving in the area. Um, And then if I really want to go deeper, my favorite tool, actually, I call it the Facebook demand test. So if you're familiar with e-commerce, right, there's a lot of people who um, have business pages and stuff on Facebook and they run ads or, you know, let's say they design a new product, they run an ad and they see what their cost per click is if they get any buys or whatever on their pro- on their product before they go out and buy a whole bunch of inventory and then sell it. So they're almost like testing the market. I do the exact same thing with land. Um, whenever I'm entering a new market, or I really want to get um, in-depth data. It's funny, I'm, I'm working with a, a, a lady right now and she wants me to help her subdivide her land. I'm like, okay, we're going to step in, we're going to do a Facebook demand test and see what our cost per message is and see if there's actually people interested and buying land in that area. And you can get that done usually for 100, 200 bucks is what I run the ad on. And um, I like to see cost per message, certainly under $10 right now on Facebook. Anything under $5 is like real smoking. Like it's, oh my God, this is, I know this is going to sell. And I'm just, what are people messaging me? Hey, I'm going to go check out the land. What's the coordinates? Can you show it to me? Can I call you? What's your number? Or if I know that there's not a market, then no one's going to message me or at the offer price I have the ad listed, everyone's going to hit me up. This is, you know, this is way too much. You're never going to sell it. You're a troll. You know, this is a scam, whatever. So uh, you're going to get a lot of that. You're going to get a lot of that on every post, by the way. And there's always someone trying to troll you and call you a scam and, and everything. But the Facebook demand test, I don't see many people doing that. That is probably the best way. It says direct market test of is there actually anyone interested in that market in buying this specific piece of land that you have test marketed on Facebook? I like to use Facebook Marketplace. Just run a boosted ad to it. So you're put you're putting out an ad on the actual property. Do you have any like pictures or anything? Because my fear on that, because I feel like everybody's always trying to cut people out all the time. Yep. is you run that ad, somebody sees it and they're like, man, that's a pretty badass piece of land. Let me go look on the tax records and figure out who owns it and go message them and buy it. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Happened? I've never <laughs> had that happen. I've had maybe only a handful of folks who were savvy enough to actually go to the tax roll and uh, look up who owns the property. Um, you know, I always put on my post coming soon. So I'm pretty transparent with the fact that I don't own it, but it's coming soon. And uh, I've never had, I've never lost a deal that way. Um, I think- Have I unlocked an irrational fear now? (laughs) Yes, yes. And I think to your point though, 
a lot of people do have certain fears and, um, you know, almost a, a scarcity mentality or, or fears in real estate. Oh, I'm going to lose this deal. There's not going to be another one. Or, oh, uh, so-and-so is going to steal it from me or I can't do this or I can't do that. Um, what you're going to find out real quick, um, especially in land, is there's so many deals out there. And I, I still, I'm guilty of it. It's like, I see a good deal and I, I miss it or whatever. It's like, I get FOMO. It's like, man, I'm never going to find another deal or, you know, like that, that was the best deal. And I find myself reaching, but I always got to remind myself, like, there's going to be another deal. There's yeah. probably going to be a better deal. If I miss this one, I probably actually missed it for a reason. I'm going to find something better. You are a thousand percent right about that. And if we operate out of fear, we are going to miss more opportunities than not. I actually had a guy years ago, reach out to me and say, hey, there's a house in Tennessee that I really, really want to make an offer on. I don't know if it's going to make money or not, but I want to offer on it. And I was like, okay, well, let's offer on it. What, you know, what's the address? And he didn't want to tell me, the real estate agent, the address, because he thought I was going to go tell other people to offer on it. And I'm like, dude, it's on the MLS. The people know. <laughs> you don't have to worry about me. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, operating out of fear like that is really just going to cost you more deals than it than you will lose it. So that's a really good attitude to have, I think. Abundance mindset, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. So tell me about, how do I pronounce this word? Cornutus, Texas? You got it. Very interested to hear about this. So tell me what you got going out there. Yeah, funny enough, I just got back uh, from there yesterday for another, it was a six-day adventure. Uh, it was a small little it's a small little un unincorporated town it's about an hour east of El Paso on <clears throat> U.S. Highway 62, 62 180. And so you got Guadalupe Mountain National Park about a half hour, 40 minutes to the east and El Paso about an hour uh, to the west. And, you know, believe it or not, you can buy small towns online. If you just Google like small town for sale, um, there's another one in Texas right now that's for sale that. I'm looking at actually, um, but you can find stuff like that out there. And there's a lot of, a lot of cool places like this. It has a cafe, three mobile homes, a six bed uh, motel and a six spot RV park. So it's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. It has like a desert field it is the desert, really the West Texas desert. Um, and it's a cool little place. It was, a, it was a really bumping popping place back in the day. I mean, it's famous for the Cornutus burger. It's a green chili burger. Um, at the cafe. So we're bringing that <laughs> back. And it basically got, got in a situation where the family, uh, the old lady who owned it, um, Mae Carson, she passed away in 2019 and her grandson took over. And, um, <clears throat> you know, I don't, I don't want to talk down or talk bad about anyone or, or, or this guy in particular, but he kind of just ran it into the ground. Um, and so it needed kind of a fresh, a fresh start. And that's kind of what we're trying to deliver. There's, there's so much work to do. For instance, this last trip, we're doing some roof work on the cafe. They had swamp coolers up there. I don't know if you're familiar with a swamp cooler. What it is, it's an air conditioner with a fan that kind of blows cold, moist air. You actually put water in the cooler and it blows that. And that's how it cools the air conditioning is with water. And so it's blowing, you know, probably 100% humidity water. And it was blowing it into the building and rotting the wood and creating all sorts of problems. And it was on the roof. It was creating load issues. The roof was sagging a little bit. So we took it off. We patched the roof. Water sealed it all up. Um, that was kind of the big project uh, for this week. Took out off a couple of those from the roof, but right now it's not even open. I guess you could say. 
Hey guys, hope you are enjoying this week's episode of the short term show. We are loving it. We are loving interviewing all these guests for you guys, and we hope you're getting a lot of value out of it. And we just, we really love you guys. We love you so much that we have created a community just for you. We have a Facebook group specifically for short-term rental investors, and there are tons of great posts every day, sharing best practices, learning new things from other short-term rental investors. And we would love to see you over there. The name of the group is the same name as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Head over and join the conversation. We look forward to seeing you over there. Thanks, guys. Hopefully you guys are finding all of these short-term show episodes to be really helpful. We certainly hope that you are, but maybe you have more questions and you just want to be able to ask an expert a certain question here and there. Well, we have at the short-term shop open office hours on Zoom every Thursday and you can sign up for free. So if you head over to strquestions.com, you can sign up to hop on and we will answer any questions that you have on short-term rental investing. Again, it's every Thursday and you can sign up at strquestions.com. <laughs> so you're going to just get the town back up and running. That's the goal. And the goal is to do a lot of short-term rentals, uh, which I'm sure you're familiar with and your audience is familiar with. I'm really fascinated by the glamping dome operation. I had a chance to <clears throat> meet with an owner um, near Big Bend, which is one of, my, one of my favorite places, Brewster County, of one of the biggest glamping operations down there. And I mean, really with those domes, that's just a concrete pad, a dome over top and some simple furniture inside. And it, it costs him um, less than 10 grand to get a site built, a dome site. And you can rent those suckers out for 100 to $200 a night in the right location, probably more in some locations. And so the economics on it are just crazy. People love it. You go out, sleep under the stars. Um, they have those clear roofs so you can see the night sky. Uh, so I want to put those out there, rent out the mobile homes, rent out the motel and start flipping burgers um, at the cafe. <laughs> that sounds awesome. So, well, I was going to say, okay, well, let me tie all my thoughts together here. So a lot of people want to do the whole glamping thing because they, you know, it's, can be cheaper than going and buying an equivalent number of small houses. But where they run into problems is they'll buy what they think is unincorporated land, or it is unincorporated, unrestricted, and think that they can just go plop down a bunch of tents and stuff and call it a day when really the city and or county will have restrictions. Sometimes they make you subdivide it. Uh, so sometimes it's like a lot of red tape to get through. And I was about to ask you what the city and county said about it, but since you own the city... I don't guess yeah. there's a lot. <laughs> you, you bring up a great point because it's something we didn't really touch on is restrictions with land. That can oh, be yeah. huge, obviously. I'm fortunate enough. This is Hudspeth County and they have pretty much no restrictions. It's kind of like the Wild West still out there. But um, I know some areas such as I was talking to a guy not too long ago in Arizona and he was wanting to do like a glamping operation. I forget what county it was. And it, it was exactly what you're talking about. They wanted him to basically subdivide and mark off and survey off and get all prepped each site for each little, you know, glamping or tiny home, whatever he's doing. So restrictions are super important, whether you're doing something like that, or in my case, trying to buy and subdivide land or buy and sell it or buy, for a buyer's case, put a mobile home on it or whatever. I mean, at least in Texas, you can restrict a piece of land pretty much however you want. 
Someone can stop you from breaking it down into less than 10 acre pieces. Someone can stop you from putting a mobile home on it. Um, so there's actually, you know, you just want to be careful when you buy a piece of land to do, you know, probably buying it from a title company. So get all those documents and the title um, commitment, make sure there is no restrictions that are going to stop you from doing what you want to do. Obviously call the county. I'm always working with counties, with the commissioners, um, with whatever planning and zoning, whatever the department is at the county, just call them. They're going to know, just try and find out what restrictions are actually on the land before you buy it, get yourself into something that you didn't ask for in the beginning. Yeah, totally. What else have we not touched on that you feel like the listeners would benefit from hearing? Well, when it comes to land investing, um, the one thing I just want the listeners to know, and I tell this to everybody really, is it all comes down to your first deal. It's really all downhill from there. You're going to have to, obviously you have to get educated. You have to find some knowledge, um, some education. Then you're going to want to start very small and do your first deal. I don't care if you have a million dollars, start small with a five, 10, $20,000 deal. If you have less money, you can buy land for under 10,000. Um, you can wholesale it. You can use other people's money. You can get more creative with creative financing, something I do a lot of, but um, <clears throat> start small, do your first deal. Then it's really all downhill um, I'm from there. Basically land is my favorite because it's probably the simplest <laughs> of real estate in a lot of cases. So the barrier to entry is really small, both capital and um, knowledge and research wise. Like people tell me I'm smart, but even if I am smart, like I don't believe I'm smart. I just like what's simple. Like I just like doing what's simple. Um, I don't find myself to be a genius. Just keep it simple. That's why I like land um, and start small. I think that's great advice. Start small. Um, all right. So we are to the last three questions of the show that we ask everyone. First question is what advice would you give 20 year old John? Love it. Um, 20 years old, I was still in college at Texas Tech. Uh, one thing that I actually wish I was doing more of when I was 20 is just reading and learning. I was very hard headed and I thought I was going to go to college. You know, my only real source of learning was like going to class. I don't think I ever read a book or did listen to a podcast or did anything like outside of class. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to go to school and be an engineer and I have this test coming up and whatever. But um, when you're 20 or, you know, young, whatever age it is, Really, the quicker you can learn, the more you can learn, the more you can read, the more you can absorb, the better off you're going to be because that's going to put you so far ahead of everyone else. Um, just having that knowledge, being exposed to new information and different things. So read more and listen to more podcasts and kind of just seek out knowledge. That's what that's what I would do. Wish I did that when I was 20. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I definitely wish I would have started earlier, too. All right. What advice would you give a new investor getting started today? I think we just touched it. Start small and um, minimize risk because a lot of people, they think they're risk adverse or um, uh, conversely, I guess they think they can take risks, they can manage risk, et cetera. But you don't know what you don't know, and especially when you're entering a new venture or a new business, whether it's land, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's some other sort of real estate or um, whatever business it is, you have to start small and just kind of dip your toe in um, and, and go from there. So start small and you can scale quick. That's what's good, uh, especially if you're learning and constantly acquiring knowledge. But start small uh, would definitely be my number one advice, especially in real estate. All right. Great advice again. And last question. What is your favorite book that's impacted your mindset? 
Yeah. So nowadays I do read quite a bit. I try to do a book a week. Um, I think I have a lot of favorites, but the one that kind of really pops to mind that got me started on my entrepreneurial journey is Choose Yourself by James Altucher. He was kind of one guy that I really started following and listening to. He's got a great podcast and stuff when I was first starting off. And that book really opened um, my mind to kind of what is possible, especially financially and kind of lifestyle uh, lifestyle wise with entrepreneurship, with business. It's going to it just really helped me kind of create a mind, mindset shift um, from like a corporate nine to five traditional um route to more of thinking like a, a business person and an entrepreneur and kind of just open me up to possibilities of what's actually possible out there. There's a lot of stuff that's possible. All right. I don't think anyone's recommended that one yet so far. So perfect. <laughs> awesome. Well, John, if any of our listeners want to follow you, learn more about you, connect with you, where can they do that? It's just at John Jasniak on basically every social media. My main one that I really focus on, I guess, is Instagram. They can shoot me a DM on there, a message. Um, I answer them all. Would love to look at your land deals. Would love to help you out. I really like looking at deals. Like, even if I'm not going to buy it or anything, like, I don't know, to me, just like looking at deals is so fun. So I'm I'm always here to offer free advice. I love looking at it um, at John Jasnick, basically everywhere and johnjasnick.com. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on, John. We'll catch you later. Thank you so much for having me, Avery.